Better late than never! <laughs> the following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We are at Minute 3 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how are you doing today? Uh, not so good, Brad. I'm, I'm having some hot flashes of hail. Oh, this is going to be so much fun to talk about hot hail because when they show the, the 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 flashing signs of all the crazy stuff going wrong, it's like okay, yeah, earthquakes, I get that, uh, you know, tornadoes or whatever, it's like makes sense. Hot hail, I don't know what that is. Based solely on this movie, because I've never experienced it in my personal life, it appears to be literally hail that is very hot. There's no false advertising. As minute three begins. We're still in the credits. There's a lot of credits. We still have this uh, fantastic Queen music. While watching the opening credits, first off, when the credits show up, it's like music composed by Queen. I just was so happy. We've talked about this already, that this is a movie that makes us smile. There's a couple of great art theaters near me in Baltimore and some in Harrisburg that show old movies, and they'll do sort of camp classics. And I, I have not yet seen them play flash gordon i gotta imagine it must have happened or it's something that has to happen and i just bet you if you were to go to a showing of flash gordon now there would be applause when queen's name comes up oh absolutely i agree and it even says music composed performed and produced by queen and it's 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 just you know usually i feel like sound uh soundtrack the 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 the, during the opening credits just says like you know music by whatever you know it's like they're letting you know these guys wrote it, they performed it, they produced it, they, they just, it's the whole thing. You know, it's just, it's really hammering at home. Just like when we talked about, you know, how they were highlighted in the trailer and they were highlighted in the poster. It's just the, the producers of this movie really wanted to let you know, this is queen music you're going to be listening to for the next hour, 50 minutes. This is coming at you. This is going to be really exciting stuff. And then, not too long after that, a guy who I just got to feel bad for, it said, orchestral score by Howard Blake. Until I started, and now I've watched this movie a zillion times, but until I started doing research for this podcast, I don't think I was even aware there was other music in this movie by someone else. And I I, I looked up uh, the IMDb for Howard Blake. Nice career. Nice career. The highlights is he did the music for seven episodes of the 60s series The Avengers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the Marvel movie or to be confused with the Sean Connery, Ray Fiennes, Uma Thurman, terrible, terrible remake of it. Which Sidebar, I've never seen, but my wife often tells me is the worst movie she's ever seen. A great trailer and a good concept and just a, a complete disaster. Uh, Ray Fiennes was still at that point where people thought he was going to be a lead actor, which uh, didn't quite happen. And Uma Thurman, also everyone was expecting her to, to be a Julia Roberts-esque leading lady, which she got closer to uh, with the Kill Bill films. And Sean Connery, James Bond himself, playing a Bond villain. It was a really great 
trailer that they had. I remember seeing it in theaters like, oh, this looks great. And Sean Connery chewing the scenery, wearing a kilt and doing a, a, a great mo- bad guy monologue. It's like, oh, this looks great. And then then the reviews came out. Turned out it was just terrible. Just a bad take on a really iconic uh, TV series. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Mr. Blake, known for doing that. And plus, he also did the music for a terrible movie with Jane Fonda called Monster-in-Law with Jane Fonda and Jennifer Lopez. That might be one of the worst movies I remember ever seeing. Yeah, I never, I looked up Blake on IMDb also. I've never seen any other movie that he's ever worked on other than Flash Gordon. You just got to feel bad for him where... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Probably not too bad. I'm sure he got paid well for his efforts and it's an opportunity that not a lot of people get, but the music for this movie is so closely associated with Queen and he's like, no, I, I did music too. Yeah, I read that he they gave him 10 days to do his portion of the score and he worked so crazy in those 10 days to get it done, he actually got pneumonia and had exhaustion after the 10 days and then they came out with the movie and the soundtrack and, and he sees almost nothing on there is even anything that he did. It was almost all Queen. I'm not tied into movie, the movie world at all. I have friends or know people or people that I've met through uh, working at Cosmic Pedo. The amount of insane effort and sleepless nights just to get movies produced and out there and the amount of effort involved can kill you. And there are certainly many stories of some movies that did just that, where I think of Apocalypse Now, where the, the, the health issues that uh, plagued that movie and that it, the movie making business is not a natural thing for people to do with a lot of long nights and brutal days and challenging environments. So, and even for a composer, it's a lot of work that needs to be done on a relative, really short period of time with very challenging masters that you need to please. And God, God bless him. I, I, I hope that check didn't bounce. Yeah. Cause otherwise he's the Pete best of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I love the story of Pete best. That poor son of a gun. I think that's the saddest story in the history of humanity. <laughs> But that's a whole other, uh, that's a whole tangent we, we don't have time for. <laughs> uh, next comes director Mike Hodges, uh, another name that's, uh, and looked up my, Mr. Hodges and uh, another long career as a director, um, some TV work and did some directing for Queen Videos. What really popped out is he did a movie, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to pronounce it poorly, but a movie called Croupier which he directed, which I remember got a lot of positive buzz and was sort of the movie that put Clive, one of the movies that put Clive Owens on everybody's radar. So that was in 2003. That's a long career. And Flash Gordon was not the first film he directed. Uh, That's a nice career for a guy who never became a celebrity director. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Flash Gordon is the only movie of his that I've seen. Uh, He also did the sequel to The Omen. One of those sort of journeyman directors who's always direct and who's willing to do anything. He'll he'll direct uh, TV, he'll direct videos, he'll direct movies. And every now and then land something really successful or something sort of iconic. And and again, Krupier was a a well-respected movie. And there was a period of time where we thought Clive Owen was going to be the next big British star. Didn't quite happen, but he certainly had a nice career, has had a nice career to sort of have an, like a role that a movie that sort of provided that, breakthrough role eh, there's nothing to sneeze at N- nice career yeah and and he wasn't even supposed to direct the movie dino de laurentis actually originally wanted federico fellini the great director to direct fellini turned him down 
And so he hired Nicholas Rogue, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who spent an entire year in pre-production for the movie. De Laurentiis then didn't like what Rogue was doing with it, and so Rogue left the project. Then De Laurentiis considered hiring Sergio Leone, another top list director, but Leone said he thought the script wasn't faithful to the original comic strip, so he didn't want to do it. And so the reason Hodges was even involved was De Laurentiis, before Flash Gordon was even made, when they were in pre-production, already planned to make a sequel, which of course, when we get to the end of the movie, we'll discuss in length. And so he asked Rogue, who should I hire to direct the sequel that I'm inevitably going to make to this movie? And Rogue suggested Mike Hodges. So Hodges is on board to do this mythical sequel. He fires Rogue, and then he goes to Hodges and says, all right, now I need you for this worst one. And Rogue at first said no, because he's, he had never done science fiction before. He'd never worked in anything in special effects before. He was terrified by it, and he said no. And eventually he gave in. There are just two great quotes from him that I found online about this movie. He showed up every day, basically, and he said he was just winging it. So first of all, he says, the charm of the film is that it's totally improvised on my part. It's like the 12 steps, this film. It's day by day, literally. So, I mean, he really just, he winged this thing. And to people like you and me, hit the ball out of the park. And you can sort of feel that improvisation. When you say that, it doesn't surprise me at all. This feels like a movie where just a creative guy trying to stay ahead of stay ahead of the movie and keep his head above water and it gives it such a an immediacy i'm very much looking forward to because um we've had a lot of credits towards the end of this minute we're getting to the ballad part of the song and we get to hear freddie mercury croon a little bit freddie mercury's sort of known for his ability to really belt out a song also a very good balladeer he can sing pretty as well as loud and powerful. Absolutely, yeah. I know that we've been talking about Queen a lot these first few episodes, but, you know, during the credits, what else are we going to talk about other than Queen? Well, their song is playing. But Hodges said, in talking about Queen doing their portion of the soundtrack, they came in one at a time to do the parts. They did not come in as a group, but he, as the director, had to be there every day. One of them would come in, whichever one of the four, at about two in the afternoon. They'd record till six, seven, eight o'clock the following morning. Now, they're doing it just one guy at a time, but they recorded for 21 consecutive days. So Mike Hodges is there in the recording studio 21 days in a row, working from 2 in the afternoon till 6, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, they're only coming in each maybe, you know, four or five of those days. And he was just completely shot after those three weeks. And there's the results that got churned out, though. And according to Roger Taylor, that's the drummer for Queen, on the soundtrack... There's a lot of sound effects and dialogue from the movie that are interspersed throughout the songs. Uh, Taylor said that that was the band's idea to do that. It just felt that it made the soundtrack come more alive, and uh, I love that. Credits end with the flashing hot hail sign. There's that hot hail, I feel. That's that hot hail that you feel. And then we transition to the airfield. We get to see... Flash reading the paper. Don't even have we, we haven't even gotten the full view of Flash. We're just seeing him sort of like from the eyes up. Yeah, the hands and his forehead basically. It's a good thing that they start us off with Flash seeing him reading because, let's be honest, otherwise I don't think it, we, any of us would have a problem believing he was illiterate. <laughs> He, he doesn't come across as bright. No, and he's listening to a football game as he's reading in his car. <laughs> yes, yes, good call. Out. How much attention is he paying to that newspaper? Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I would love to get a close-up. It looks like it was maybe, it might be the stock section. Perhaps trying to give him uh, more, or it might just been the sports page, but 
you know, I would like to believe that he's reading the stocks. <laughs> yeah, we don't yet know what he does. If we're going, you know, if, if for someone who is watching this movie for the first time, based on what we later find out, he does. He's probably rich, so he could be looking at the at the stocks. Still, not a whole lot happening in these minutes. Just a, a lot of table setting. Um, we get a chance to, you know, see who is the director, who is the, the, there is someone doing an orchestra score, and we get to just hear more of that fantastic Flash Gordon song by Queen. Uh, what, what else really jumped out at you from this first minute? Yeah, just two other quick things. Well, one quick thing and then a note from last week. Um, we missed uh, who wrote the screenplay. That was a credit during this minute, and his name's Lorenzo Semple Jr. And to me, I love this because this show that he wrote for is just a perfect match to Flash Gordon. He wrote the pilot and the first four episodes and the theatrical movie of the old 1960s Adam West Batman. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I remember that. Batman is a show that uh, doesn't... It's starting to get the, the love it deserves. Uh, for a while, it was a sort of a punchline. But it was a wonderful show and had a lot... Uh, a lot more going on for it and much better performances than it was given credit for. And you can, there certainly is a through line from the ridiculousness and campiness of Batman to Flash Gordon. And another movie he wrote, which again, can't be uh, Sheena, a classic 80s movie starring um, one of the former uh, Charlie's Angels, Tanya Roberts. Uh, An absolutely just horrible movie that for some reason as a 12-year-old I used to watch on HBO all the time. Yes, uh, Sheena, that is a movie very important to uh, young men of our generation because it was a PG movie because back then there was was no PG-13. There was G, PG, and R. HBO would play PG movies at all times a day, but that movie, Sheena, aside from just how sex in Tanya Roberts was an amazingly beautiful woman right and dressed in an amazingly sexy costume and I believe there was nudity in that movie so that was something a uh, full frontal uh, young men our age were very excited to see yes. that on HBO <laughs> I think we just hit on why I used to watch it all the time <laughs> it's on during the day it's PG I'm fine mom you go do something else this is an important movie Oh, terrible movie, and Tanya Roberts, uh, uh, an astoundingly beautiful woman who couldn't act to save her life. Possibly best known for later generations, she played Donna's mom in that 70s show. Not uh, Did not ever watch that show. Yes, and the whole – she was the – very much the uh, – prototypical hot mom with a hot daughter and of course all the young men in the show had crushes on her because it was tanya robertson she was she's still beautiful and statuesque and with an amazing figure so good for her because it was a perfect role where she didn't have to act much she just had to look uh, beautiful in 70s costumes it's like well she could do that so uh anything else that popped out at you uh not Uh, That's pretty much all I got for this minute, but I did want to, before we go, I wanted to call back to last week. We were talking about in Panama when Manuel Noriega was being flushed out, and uh, I decided to look up exactly what was done and the songs that were used to flush him out. So we can bring a little bit of uh, history here to our listeners as well. So basically what happened was he took refuge in the Holy See Embassy in Panama, 
and the U.S. then surrounded the embassy, and they used psychological warfare to flush him out, one aspect of which was blaring the rock music. And here are the songs that reportedly they used. I Fought the Law by The Clash, You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, and Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die by Jethro Tull. And the Holy See complained to President Bush, that's the first President Bush, uh, about the actions of the soldiers doing it, so after three days, they stopped the rock music. Oh, uh, God, I can't I can't count how many times I listened to You Shook Me All Night Long when I was in high school. That's just a song that I think every young suburban guy has to have on their playlist. Yeah. It's also a song that was played at a lot of high school dances, even though the oh, subject yeah. matter is a little inappropriate. Plus, it's not a good dance to its song. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't matter. No, no. We were just all so happy to hear that song. And it's – it's well, it's ACDC. It's just – ACDC had those great suburban guy songs that we uh, we all very easy to sing along to because the lyrics were unbelievably simple and straightforward, and uh, but the guitarists were amazing, and uh, it was just a fun song to sort of jump around to. So yeah, yeah, all right. I think Manuel could have done worse. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, this is our our. our- for our, our Tuesday show, we, we were running Tuesday through Thursday, unless we change it, and then I'll have to edit this out. I'm, I'm looking forward. We, we have some good stuff. We're going to be introduced to all the characters. So uh, unless you get anything else, we're ready to wrap this up. I am good. All right, Eric. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, there's a lot of stuff to be worried about in this world. Uh, I recently just reread about the Black Mamba snake, the most dangerous and feared snake in Africa. The M- Black Mamba's bite is known as the kiss of death. But I'm not worried. And why is that, Eric? Because Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at FlashGordonPod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute.